Father, thank you. Thank you for the way we've been able to worship you this morning. Thank you that we've centered on Jesus and the gift of the Spirit. We praise you. And now, Lord, I, I ask for Jim that you will help him as he speaks to us, that you will give him the very words that you want us to hear from yourself, and that, Lord, we may not only hear the word, but be doers of it. Help us to understand. Thank you for Jim, and we bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Rod. I've just got to ask, do I press that way or that way when I do it? Oh, it's there. That'll do. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, already June the 9th. And do you realize that in less than two weeks' time, the nights start drawing in? Those dark nights. Are you not glad that we have lights? I mean, it's not working very well, but there at night is North Korea. Now, have you ever had a power cut? It's amazing how dependent we are on electricity. Uh, All that we're able to do all the various gadgets that we uh, plug into the power. I've just brought one or two things at random. Here's the extension lead. Lots of spaces to to plug things. And I just brought one or two of the things that we use. I think this one does my mobile phone. I think that's the sat-nav. Got to have a sat-nav. And I think this is probably my favourite because it lets me listen to classical FM. That's for the radio. I mean, I I could go on. Uh, Just one more. I think that's the shaver. I mean, that's just a handful. I could have brought a lot, lot more. Now, we had a power cut quite recently, just a few weeks back, but it was one that we knew was coming. Uh, the electricity suppliers had cut down trees near the power lines in our area. Uh, we were told when it would start, and we were told the expected end, when the power would be restored. And we were told what to do to prepare for it, like turning the freezer up high for 12 hours beforehand, Do the same with the fridge. Try not to open their doors too much and do boil up as much water as you could in flasks to make hot drinks. Uh, The actual power cut was much shorter than expected. So it was good to get back to normal, empowered lifestyle. And of course, classic FM. I do remember some years ago we had a a power cut. It went on for ages and ages and ages. And uh, it was still on in the middle of the night, I think. And it was ever so, ever so dark. So what Margaret and I thought we would do in the pitch black would be to play I Spy. (laughs) Have you ever played I Spy in the pitch black? I think one of the words began with D. (laughs) And maybe the other one began with... N. But that was uh, was quite fun. But just a couple of weeks ago, 
our daughter Elizabeth and her husband Terry, they had a power cut, but it was an unexpected one. No warning at all. And that was much more difficult to cope with, especially for Terry, with his awful diabetes. Now, as it wasn't a pre-planned power cut, the electricity people, the experts in the electricity field, they had to find out what had caused it and then put it right. Now, of course, many people throughout the world would love to have a power cut because that would mean they had power to cut. Now, today is the day of Pentecost, or we remember the day of Pentecost, the day when God turned on his power to the full all the time, made available to everyone. It's the day when believers have become able to be baptized in the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Uh, It's like when the floodlights are turned on. And flood is a very appropriate word because baptism means flooding, drenching, soaking, inundating, immersing. So Pentecost was the day that the full power of God is turned on. He turns it on, the full power for the first time. And it's not just a national grid, but it's the Lord's international grid on full power, turned on for all time. Uh, He had turned on his bits of his power for certain people at certain times, at a lower setting, and only for a short time in the past. But this was different. He turns his power fully on for the first time, for all time, for all people. The Holy Spirit is poured out, so it's full steam ahead. But of course, it's so important to be plugged in properly, the right way. And the question that I want us to look at this morning is, are we fully plugged in? Or are we having a power cut? Are we operating on reduced power? All these bits and pieces that I have brought to show you this morning, at the moment, they are US. They're not plugged into any power. So that's the question. Are we fully plugged in, or are we having a power cut? Now before I go on, I just want to to paint a larger picture. I want you to think of the world of football, because I want to use that as an illustration of what I want to say. Let's suppose that um, Norwich. Anybody here support Norwich? No hands. Oh, yes, there are hands. I was surprised anybody's hand went up. But let's suppose that Norwich... (laughs) that Norwich had to play their next match against Chesterfield. That's my hometown. Right, you got it? Norwich are going to play Chesterfield next. Now, what would the team manager from Norwich want to do? 
he would look very, very carefully at recordings of Chesterfield team at play and he would seek to search out any weaknesses and exploit them. Now, as they wouldn't find any with Chesterfield, (laughs) what else would Norwich do? Well, they would examine the strengths of Chesterfield and see how they can be cancelled out, how they can be neutralised, nullified, rendered as ineffective as possible. You've got the idea. Now apply this to the church of the risen, ascended, glorified Jesus which began in its full potential on the day of Pentecost. Now the devil and all his powers of darkness hate Jesus. They hate all he has done. And they hate his body, the church, called to proclaim to the whole world the good news of what God the Father has done in his son Jesus for the whole world. Now, the devil knows he cannot totally destroy the church. He cannot defeat the church. So, what is his cunning plan? His plan is to make the church as ineffective as possible. Now, how will he do that? By keeping people in the dark. By making people as ignorant as possible about what God the Father has done and provided for in Jesus. Remember, Jesus has two basic ministries, as John the Baptist, his forerunner, makes clear. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's seen in the cross and resurrection. And Jesus is the one who will baptize with Holy Spirit. There we have the resurrection, the ascension, fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Now remember that baptize means flooding, drenching, soaking people in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So the devil seeks to set out to darken, obscure, draw veil over these key truths, put scales on people's eyes, cover them with cataracts, make them blind, keep people in the dark. So get people to be unclear about what Jesus has done. Get them to be ignorant of his work. Keep Christians weak and ineffective. He's the prince of darkness. Let's keep people in the dark. Now this is no more the case than with the available power of the Holy Spirit. The devil has made and kept Christians really ignorant about the power of the Spirit available to us. 
we Christians suffer from a massive power cut because we don't see what is available and therefore don't plug in. Many Christians are experiencing a power cut because they've been kept dark about the ministry of the Spirit. Now, I've mentioned this in years gone by, that the New Testament makes it clear there are four points on the plug that needs to fit the how to become a Christian socket. Four building blocks that need to be laid in the life of anyone who wants to become a fully born, healthy child of God. Just like all four pistons in an engine are necessary and need to be firing properly for the engine to function at its full potential, so all these four areas need to be, these four building blocks need to be in place. And they are quite simply repentance, faith, baptism in water, and baptism in the Spirit. Normally in that order, but occasionally the third and the fourth are changed around, and there are perfectly good reasons for why that happened in uh, the Acts of the Apostles. Repentance is the turning away from all known wrong, from a life lived without living reference to Jesus. And remember, the greatest sin, according to the New Testament, is not believing in Jesus. That's the greatest sin. So that's repentance. Faith is personally trusting in him for salvation. Baptism in water is when God dramatically puts us into the death and resurrection of Jesus for us because of our repentance and faith. When God applies the work of Jesus on the cross for us individually, personally. And then baptism in spirit is when God our Father fills us to overflowing with the Spirit. Like when a newborn child gasps in its first breath of air and fills its lungs to capacity. Can you remember doing that? <laughs> and you've been breathing ever since. Repentance, faith, baptism in water, baptism in spirit. Like a square needs all four corners to be a proper square, squarely a square, so we need all four of these corners to be a squarely founded, fully birthed Christian. So what I want us to do is just to have a look at what Paul does when he comes face to face with a power cut in a group of Christians. Just like the energy company had to find out what was wrong in Elizabeth's road when there was a power cut, so here we have Paul facing a power cut. So we're in Acts chapter 19, and it says this, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, 
No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, in other languages, and prophesied. There were about twelve in all. So here's Paul. He meets up with a, a dozen or so disciples. And remember that disciples in Acts, in all Luke's writings, means Christians. Now it's likely from the context that these Christians, these 13 or so people, doesn't it so, had been taught by Apollos, uh, described as a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, teaching about Jesus accurately, though he only knew about the baptism of John. That's the few verses before chapter 19. So with his trained apostolic eyes, Paul senses there's something wrong. There's something not quite right. He doesn't say what it was, but I, I just wonder, I wonder what, what did he notice that was missing? Was there no real passion for Jesus? No longing to share him? He doesn't say, but he knows there's something wrong. He's come to face, face to face, with a power cut. So what Paul does is he gets out his checklist, or he puts on his Christian midwife hat, and he does a health check to make sure these Christians were birthed properly. So he starts with number four. And he asks them, did they receive the Holy Spirit when they believed? Now I note that believing and receiving the Spirit are not one and the same thing. Otherwise, Paul's question is nonsense. Did you receive the Spirit when you received the Spirit? Is what it would be saying if it meant exactly the same. And Paul is not a nutcase. So he asked them, did they receive the Holy Spirit? Now, receive is a big word in the New Testament, particularly in the context of the Holy Spirit. And please remember that to understand what the Bible is actually saying, always read it carefully in its context and examine carefully what it is saying. Because it's very easy to jump to, to wrong conclusions. I'm going to tell you a true story and just work out what you think the story is getting at. Okay. Now, you, you know that we live in an extremely wicked and cruel world. 
we hear horrendous stories of wicked cruelty almost every day. Now listen to this story. A lady talked of masked men who knocked her brother out, cut his chest open, and took out his heart. Do you get the picture? The actual facts are that these men were surgeons. They gave her brother an anaesthetic to open up his chest. They took out his old heart and they put in his new heart, or a new heart, thus saving his life. Is that what you immediately thought of when I was telling you the facts of the story? Always look very, very carefully at something or we will jump to hasty and wrong conclusions. It's like the word receiving. It is constantly used of being filled with the Spirit right at the start of one's Christian life. Whenever the apostles refer to their own experience of the Spirit, they go back to the day of Pentecost. Not in the upper room when Jesus breathed on them. They go back to the day of Pentecost, and that's the word they used, received. It's the same word used when the Samaritans put their faith in Jesus, get baptised in water, and had Peter and John sent to pray for them to receive the Spirit. So they were prayed for, they received the Spirit, and this could be seen, visible, audible stuff happening. And then when Cornelius the centurion, a Roman, and his relatives and close friends met with Peter. Peter shared Jesus with them. The Spirit was poured out on them. They spoke in other languages and praised God out loud. Peter says, oh, they have received the Spirit just as we have. So this word received is virtually a technical word and it means to be drenched, overwhelmed, saturated by the Spirit, known by those receiving him, and witnessed by those around. None of this, you may not feel or sense anything, just believe it. You don't find that in the New Testament. So that's the question Paul first asks these disciples. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed. Now I notice Paul assumes they will know for certain they have received the Spirit, whether they have or not. And their answer is so revealing. Their answer is they are ignorant. They are ignorant of the Holy Spirit. I asked every member in our house group a couple of weeks or so ago, I asked them what teaching they had received about the Holy Spirit and their need of him at the very start of their Christian life. And no one had been told anything. My own experience is very similar. Uh, I was at university as a militant atheist and I went along to talks about the Christian faith.
to argue against these sad, misguided Christian people. There they were at the best university in the whole world, the best university that there will ever be. There they were, wasting their lives in believing in Jesus and God. So I saw it as my job to put them right. Now, all these talks about the Christian faith were given by all the top Christian leaders of the day. I heard clearly, time and time again, about the need personally to repent and to believe in Jesus, who had died on the cross to pay for all my wrongdoing, and I'd risen again from the dead to show that he is Lord of all. Uh, a bit was sometimes mentioned about water baptism, but nothing, nothing, nothing about the offer and the need to be baptized in spirit. I just heard that when you ask Jesus into your heart, not a particularly biblical phrase, the Holy Spirit comes in. The devil, the prince of darkness, has done a really good job at keeping us in the dark about the gift of the Spirit right at the start of our Christian walk. And it's a bit more darkness, he gets people to believe that the word baptism means just a sprinkle, just a trickle, just a drop or two, you might not even feel it. <laughs> These disciples were ignorant about the Holy Spirit. Now many of the translators here are suffering from a power cut. A power cut to their thinking and knowledge of the language used when they translate it as we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Of course they'd heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They'd been baptized with John's baptism. And he clearly taught that he baptized in water, but Jesus, the one who was coming, would baptize in the Holy Spirit. He taught them all that. You could no more be baptized with John's baptism and never heard of the Holy Spirit than you could have been baptized with John's baptism and never heard of water. These men knew that the day of the Spirit would one day come. But they didn't know that the day of the Spirit had come. The literal expression here is, we have not heard whether the Spirit is yet. And that doesn't mean whether he exists, but whether he is here in all his fullness. Whether we are in the day, the era, the dispensation, the fullness of the Spirit. It's exactly the same phrase, expression, format that we find in John's Gospel, chapter 7, when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given. Literally, it says, up to that time, the Spirit wasn't, was not yet, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The Spirit was not yet, the time for the turning on the full power of the Spirit was not yet. It would come after the ascension, 
and glorification of Jesus. So these disciples had not heard that the era of the Spirit had come. Like so many of us Christians today who have not been told that God the Father has turned on the international grid to full, permanent power available to all. Because Jesus is back home, the Father has turned the floodlights on fully so all can see, experience, live in, and live out of the power of this Jesus and witness powerfully for him. So these disciples were ignorant of baptism in the Spirit, the release of the Spirit. Paul's checked the first box, nothing in it. The fourth cornerstone is missing. So he goes on to the next box. He probes deeper and asks about their water baptism. Paul knows that at water baptism, all disciples are told of the promise of the gift of the Spirit that's available. So he asks them into what they were baptised, what baptism they received. And their answer, it was John's baptism. So Paul makes clear John's baptism showed repentance and faith in Jesus, the one to come. So the repentance bit's there, the faith bit's there. Things need clarifying. So Paul can now put right what is missing by teaching the foundational truths. And they were baptized into the name of Jesus and then they were prayed to receive the Holy Spirit. He comes uh, as he prays for them and each receives the Spirit and there is speaking in other languages and prophesying. They know that the Spirit has come. So here then we have Paul examining the, the footings, checking up on foundations, checking out what their experience had been, what they had done, what had been done to them in order for them to become fully equipped followers of Jesus. So there we have it. Power cuts, darkness, being kept in the dark by the ignore, by ignorance of the full truth. And let me encourage us all, read, examine carefully what the New Testament teaches, and particularly the book of Acts about the gift of the Spirit. See, some of the letters in the New Testament are based on what happened in Acts. The letters assume Acts, and we can only understand what the letters mean by looking at what happened in Acts. You know, like a play, you can't understand the second act properly unless you've seen the first. So read carefully. Take your time, read through, particularly the Acts of the Apostles, asking the question, what is God's promise as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned? 
Is that my experience? And let me encourage you to examine the foundations of your own Christian experience in the light of the Scriptures. Repentance. Was that what you did right at the beginning? Uh, Margaret will tell you that when I listen to people giving their testimonies, I look to see, are they going to talk about realising their need to repent? Very often I hear, oh, I was all lonely and, and life didn't mean anything, but now I've got Jesus as my friend. The first bit of the foundation needs to be repentance, realising that my life in God's eyes is wrong and I need to repent of that. Faith. Can you remember when you first personally put your faith and trust in Jesus? Repentance, faith. Baptism in water, proper full immersion, and then asking for the full baptism in spirit according to the scriptures and receiving him in a recognizable way. So let me encourage you to, to share with one another. Paul got these uh, Christians to, to share with him. Talk to one another. Share your experiences, or lack of them, with one another. Because sharing your experiences may be there as a means of helping other people. I came across a lovely story and I thought, I'd like to see this happen in this country. This is from uh, Christian Friends of Israel, and they were talking about the experience of a man. Many years ago, he'd caught his hand in a machine, and he'd had operations to transplant muscles so that his hand would look decent. Uh, the doctors had told him he would not be able to move his fingers, but today he can move all his fingers and his thumb and return to work. He had to keep on going back for checkups, and he got fed up with going for checkups. Well, as he was checked by his doctors last time, they were amazed at the healing and functioning of his fingers. So what did he do? He then used the opportunity and told them that he believed in the God and Father of Jesus and that God can do miracles. To his surprise, they answered, Are you ready for this? Can you see this happening in this country? Please go through the rooms here in the ward and tell this to the people lying there and show them your hand. Can you believe that? That's what he did in that hospital in Israel. On his way home, he realized that God had a good purpose and it hadn't been a waste of time to go to his checkup that day. So share with one another what your experiences have been, and you may find that God will actually use you to help people to move further into the Holy Spirit. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Lord, let there be light. So let's be quiet just before the Lord.
And remember that today, the day of Pentecost, is the day we remember when the Spirit of Jesus was poured out in fullness that the disciples then, disciples throughout the Acts of the Apostles, many disciples ever since have been overwhelmed, saturated, drenched in the Spirit of Jesus. Lives totally changed, empowered to witness with signs and wonders following. Lord, you said right at the beginning, let there be light. Spoke to the darkness, let there be light, and there was light. And right at the beginning of the full Christian era, you said, let there be light in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we acknowledge we have an enemy who loves darkness. We acknowledge that the powers and principalities of darkness have kept and continue to keep Christians in the dark as to what is available through personal faith, trust in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. Lord, open our eyes to truth and please may we seek to be filled day by day by day by the power of of your Holy Spirit. And may we be powerful, effective witnesses to Jesus. Amen.